0: It's good to see everyone this morning, we appreciate you being here, appreciate our visitors coming our way. Um, We seek to serve God as he has um, instructed us to do from his word. That is simply what we do, we do not seek to do anything more, anything less than simply what God has instructed us to do. As I mentioned a moment ago, as we were gathered around the table, I want to talk this morning about the Apostle John and the, the unique views that he had of our Lord. Um, we have just concluded a, a series of lessons on the letters of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and um, that's kind of the, the, the crux of where this lesson came from I, as I was studying through that, and and remembered that John is writing there those letters very late in his life. He's probably 80, 90 years old at least. But it calls to mind that John, um, now he wrote his gospel later in life as, as well, but the accounts of his gospel are when John was a very young man. Many say he was probably the youngest of the apostles. He was probably in his early 20s when the events of his gospel and the gospels that were taking place during the, the, the ministry of our Lord on this earth. He was a very young man. So he was a very young man and he got to, to be with Jesus during his time on this earth and witness the things, a lot of the things, most of the things that Jesus did. And then later on in life he reflected on those things and he wrote letters to certain groups of people and and told them about those things and reminded them about those things. And then John had a very unique view of our Lord as he was given a revelation. As he was given a glimpse into, uh, into heaven, into the spiritual workings of the kingdom. And he wrote those things down in the, the book we call Revelation. And so John has a very unique view of our Lord. He has a very uh, interesting uh, views of of the the life of our Lord and and as he lives his life he reflects on those and we can learn a lot from this man and what he has written down for us and others as well. So this morning, as I mentioned, we want to look at John's views of Jesus. And uh, for the purposes of our study, we'll look at it this way: that John had three views of Jesus. I will tell you as we go forward. We're, we're going to be doing a lot of reading from from the text this morning, so I'd encourage you to take your Bibles and and follow along with us. I think it's very important. At, at those of you who know me know me well, have been around me a while. I rely heavily on Scripture in my lessons, and and there's a good reason for that. I believe in Bible-centered preaching and teaching, and that's where we need to focus our minds and and our thoughts. But this lesson especially um, is very um, deep in scripture and rooted in scripture, because what I want you to see is, uh, is this, these views that John had on our Lord and how uh, the writings then might open up to you a little bit more in thinking about these things. So let's, let's get started and understand this first about John's view of the Lord. First of all, he had a real view of Jesus. And this real view of Jesus is recorded in the Gospels. For instance, if you look in Matthew chapter 4, let's begin there. Let's understand this man, John, a little bit about him. And we don't have time to go into a terrible lot of detail, but we're going to look at a few things. First of all, John, as he is being called into the ministry of our Lord, Matthew's recording of this in Matthew chapter 4, Beginning verse 18, it says, And walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Verse 19, And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. And that's the John that we're talking about this fisherman, this brother of James, this son of Zebedee. He saw them in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. We talked, uh, been talking about the Apostle Peter in our Sunday morning Bible study, and we talked about in Peter's interval in this part of the story that where John and Peter's story kind of starts together. How they were fishermen, and how when Jesus came and called them, it says they what? They immediately left their nets and followed after the Lord. We made the point that these are fishermen. This is how they made their living. Yet when the Lord came and called them, they dropped everything they had, shall we say, and followed after our Lord. So this is the beginning of the view that John would have of our Lord. And we see in this beginning that it begins with his faith. Here's a man willing to put aside his living to leave his father and to follow after this man, Jesus Christ. So John's view of the Lord begins in faith. He had the faith enough to follow after Jesus. John had a a, a very interesting view of our Lord in the Transfiguration. Look over in Luke chapter 9. We talk often about There's three among Jesus' disciples who were especially close to Jesus. That's Peter, James, and John. So while the disciples had a very close look at some of the the things that Jesus was doing during his ministry, Peter, James, and John had a very intimate look because they were considered that inner circle, those that were closest to Jesus. So some of the things they witnessed, none of the other disciples witnessed. So in Luke chapter 9, beginning verse 28... And we won't read all this account, but I want to point out a few things. It says there, in some eight days after these sayings, it came about that he took along Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him, uh, and they were Moses and Elijah, who, appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Stop there for just a minute and think about that little scene. Here's Jesus and Moses and Elijah, and what are they talking about? They're depart- talking about the departure of Jesus, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. We just call that to mind as we gathered around the table, that departure, where Jesus is going to be put to death, and be raised again on the third day, and how that's the basis of our faith. But that's what they were talking about. Verse 32, now Peter and his companions have been overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. Come down to verse 35, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. See, John was a witness of this. He saw the transfiguration of our Lord where God spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son. You listen to him. So John had that unique vision of our Lord being given the authority by God from heaven. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. As we mentioned this morning, John had that unique view of being there when our Lord was crucified. Over in John chapter 19, I read from this this morning during our time around the table, so I won't read it again, but understand again what John is able to see. So John had been called by our Lord, and in faith he left his livelihood behind and followed after him. He saw him being transfigured. He saw the Lord God, God Almighty, Speaking from heaven and and saying, this is my son. Listen to him. And now John is a witness to him being put to death. Think about, and remember, this is, John was probably a very young man. Think about what he has already seen. Now think about this. John saw the resurrected Christ. In John chapter 20, uh, beginning in verse 1, It accounts how he and Peter went to the tomb. And uh, they're running, and and John outruns Peter and gets to the tomb first. If you look down in verse 5, it says, And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Simon Peter therefore also came, following him, and entered into the tomb, and beheld the linen wrappings there, and his face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had come first—that's John—and uh, and entered there. He saw and believed. Now Think about what John has been able to see. Well, again, this recap: He called Jesus called him. He left him, uh, left his work to follow Jesus in faith. He saw the transfiguration when our Lord spoke from heaven, or when God spoke from heaven and said, "This is Jesus." My beloved son, he saw him put to death on the cross. And now he has seen the empty tomb. A little later on in chapter 20, he's going to see Jesus himself. We look there in verse 19, he says, When therefore in the evening, um, on the first day of the week, when the doors were shut and the disciples were in for the fear of the, of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So John not only saw the the emptiness of the tomb, but he saw Jesus Christ in the flesh. And And he bore the wounds that were there. A little later on, John will see him at the Sea of Galilee. And he'll see him ascend into heaven. It ought to make us think a little bit more. And I read this verse a minute ago. Let's look at it again in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Given just what John has witnessed in his life, let's shed a little light on verses 30 and 31. Many other signs, therefore, Jesus performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you may have life in his name. Now think about the authority, the the resume, if you will, by which John writes those things. He has seen Jesus. He's been with him in his ministry. He saw him transfigured on the mount. He saw him crucified. He saw the empty tomb. He's seen him in the flesh. It gives him a lot of credibility when he says, these things have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Why? Because John believed. When he saw that empty tomb, that's when it says, Scripture says, that's when he believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. So John had a very real view of our Lord because he was there when all these things were taking place. John also had a reflective view of our Lord. And this reflection is recorded in his letters. As I mentioned, we just studied 1 John and 2nd and 3rd John. If you look there in 1st John beginning, let's look at a few things that speak to this. First of all, understand in 1st John 1 verses 1 through 4, John reminds his readers there that he was an eyewitness of the things that our Lord was involved in. In 1st John 1 beginning of verse 1 it says, "...what was from the beginning..." Remember, think about the the authority, the experience by which John's writing these things. What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have beheld with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also. That you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Does that give you a little bit deeper appreciation of what he just said there? We have seen, we have heard, we have touched, we have handled with our hands. And now we're telling you about these things, When we have told you about these things. This isn't some clever, devised tale that John has come up with. John was a witness to these things. And now, as he writes to remind these Christians of these things, he writes from this place of authority. Remember, he's an older man at this time. In 2nd and 3rd John, he re- refers to himself as the elder. And he was. He was probably late 80s, early 90s when he wrote these things. But he's reflecting on the life of of Christ as he saw it, as he heard it, as he handled it with his hands. And why did he write these things? He gives us the answer in, in several of these verses. Look in, in verse uh, 5 of chapter 1. And this is the message which we heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So here I, here's, here I am, John. I have witnessed these things and why am I writing? I am writing to you to tell you that God is light. In chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He tells them why he's writing. So that you may not sin. So that you can not make the same mistakes as others. Over in verse 26, He says, these things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. He's writing there about the false teachers, about Antichrist, those who are against the teaching of Jesus Christ. So that's why he's writing. He's writing to warn them about those things and about those people. In chapter 3, verse 1, See how great the love of the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know him, or does not know us, because it did not know him. That's why he's writing, to tell them about the love of God. In chapter 5 and verse 13 it says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. Now what better person to write about eternal life than someone who witnessed the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? down in verse 20 of chapter 5. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding in order that we might know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. There is the true God, and eternal. this is the true God and eternal life. He's writing these things so that you may know. We don't have to speculate. We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to... Uh, come up with our own cleverly devised uh, forms of worship or, or tales about deity have been given to us. John is an eyewitness of them, and he's writing to tell his audience and to tell us about these things. In 2 John, in verse 6, it says, "...and this is love that we walk according to his commandments... This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. That's the reason for his writing, to tell them that this is love. Walk in it. In 3 John, verse 11, he says, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil is not seeing God. That should ring a little bit with us, shouldn't it? Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He tells that to Philip in John chapter 14, I believe it is. Think about what John had seen. And so now he's telling them to imitate what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. John had had seen God because he had seen Jesus. He had witnessed God in the flesh. And so that's why he is writing to them, to remind them of these things and to tell them and to encourage them to imitate God and to be a child of his. The last view that we'll talk about this morning that John had of Jesus was a revealing view. And that view is recorded in the book of Revelation. John had a very unique view of Jesus. If you look there in uh, chapter 1 of Revelation, understand this first that, God, that John got to see the glorified Christ. Remember in Acts chapter 2, as the apostles are standing there and they witness Jesus um, go into heaven. And then Peter stands up there on the day of Pentecost and gives that, that sermon where he says, Jesus has gone into heaven and has sat down at the right hand of God. Well, John's going to get some views of that. And he's going to get a very unique view of the Lord God, of Jesus Christ, sitting at the right hand of God. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But John has seen, through this revelation, the glorified Christ. So he saw his death, he saw his resurrected body, and him in that resurrected body, he saw him ascend into heaven. And now through this revelation, he's going to see the glorified Christ. Chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, Write in a book that which you see and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet and girded across his breast breast with a golden girdle. And his, head, uh, and his head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze that had been, uh, been caused to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at my feet as a dead man. And he said, uh, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels, the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. John had this very unique vision of the glorified Christ. I wish we had time, but we don't, to talk about each one of those things that are descriptive of Jesus and and what they mean, but we, can get, we get the idea, don't we? That this is the glorified Christ in heaven. As I mentioned uh, earlier on, Jesus came and fulfilled the work that was given to him to do. Very early on, and all the way back to that promise to Abraham that was given, God promised that Through Abraham, all nations of the world would be blessed. And that came true in Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, all nations were blessed. And how were they blessed? They were blessed with salvation. They were blessed with the ability to be saved from their sins. And that crosses all boundaries in this world. Everyone has the ability to be saved. Everyone is Subject to salvation if they will believe in Jesus Christ and put him on through baptism. That is available to all men. And that was God's purpose. So when we see Jesus there on the cross, and as John recorded in his gospel, when Jesus says, it is finished, that rings a little bit more soundly with us now, doesn't it? What does it mean when he says it is finished? Jesus' work on the earth was finished. He had accomplished all that God had given him to do in his ministry and all the promises that were going to come through Jesus Christ because he had been put to death at the hands of men. All those prophecies were fulfilled. So in chapter 5 of Revelation, John gets to see these things taking place on the spiritual plane, on the heavenly plane. It says there, chapter 5, beginning verse 1, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. This is the picture of God the Father sitting on the throne, holding this book in his hand. And, in the, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven on earth or under the earth was able to open the book and to look into it. I will tell you, again, we don't have... A, Time to go into all the details, but the book that God is holding is symbolic of God's plan, his eternal plan for mankind, his eternal plan for everything. It says it's written on the inside and on the out. It's complete, it's full, and it's in his right hand. And so they're asking, who is able to... Uh, open the book and to break its seals. Verse 3, And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or look into it. And I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. We understand who that is, don't we? Who was it from the tribe of Judah? It was Jesus. Who was it from the root of David? It was Jesus. Verse 6. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out to all the earth. Now understand, this is a different (laughs) This is why we have to be careful in, in, in reading Revelation. We just, John just saw Jesus as standing with a white robe, or with a robe reached all the way to the ground, and his hair was white, and his eyes were shining like, uh, like fire, and out of his mouth came a two-edged sword. Now he sees him as standing there as a lamb, as if slain. Um, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God in all the earth. The point is that these are visions that John is having. These are visions of the glorified Christ, and the description has something to do with the message that's being spoken of. We have to be careful in taking these things literally in that sense. Because what's important is the message that's being given here, and that's why the appearance of Jesus is the way that he is. Verse 7, And he came and he took out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne, And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the land, having one harp and the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. You see how these things are, are symbolic, the heavenly symbol, the symbolic of the things that are going on on earth. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, for thou wast slain and did purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. See that vision that John is having? He's visualizing the things that are taking place in heaven as as we've seen them play out on earth. Jesus came and took that scroll from God's right hand. That was God's purpose, and he fulfilled it when he was put to death on the cross. And then he as they saw Jesus ascend into heaven and he, Peter talks about how he went into heaven and sat down at, at God's right hand this is that view in heaven as these things are taking place Jesus took that scroll and in other words he was able he was the one worthy to fulfill God's eternal plan him and him alone So so John got to see not only on earth but in this vision of God's uh, eternal plan being fulfilled. We read from Ephesians chapter 1. Let's go back there for just one second. Brad read this a few minutes ago. He read a couple of verses. I want to read a couple of verses before, and, or at least a few verses after. Ephesians 1, beginning verse 9. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, "...according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of his glory." all things are summed up in Christ. All things that we have talked about, John got to witness in such a unique way. Paul tells the Ephesians, all those things are summed up in Christ. He has made known the mystery of his will. He has made it known to us. It was revealed, it was concealed to those prophets of old. They wrote about the, the coming Christ, but they didn't understand exactly all the details but they wrote about him guided by the Holy Spirit and now Paul is saying we we get to rejoice because the mystery has been made known to us that coming Christ that Messiah is Jesus the Christ and he has been put to death he has been raised from the dead and we have eternal salvation we have a hope of eternal life in him as the fulfillment of God's eternal plan. Back to Revelation chapter 22. John got to witness the last final the final message from Jesus. Chapter 22, we won't read all of this for the sake of time. But it begins there in verse 1. It says and he showed me the river of the water of life clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on the other side was a river, was a tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees were the healing of the nations. Come down to verse 6. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angels to show his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. And come down to verse, uh, let's, verse eight. Let's remind let's remind ourselves about John. Verse eight. And I, John, and the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at my feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he said to me, "Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours." And of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book worship God. Verse ten And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let no one uh, who does wrong still do wrong. Let the one who is filthy still and let the one who is filthy still be filthy, and let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and let the one who is holy keep himself holy. Verse 12, our Lord speaking again, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Come down to verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. See, John gets to hear these last words in this book of prophecy. And the last words spoken of Jesus are, I am coming. I am going to come again. Come down to verse 20. He who testifies these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. See how John has this unique view of our Lord. He had a real, he had a reflective, and he had a revealing look at our Lord. He got to experience our Lord in a very unique way. He got to experience him during his time on the earth. To see those things that we talked about, to witness those things. And through his eyes, we have a complete view of Jesus. We see the man. We see the man being beaten and scourged and crucified. And we see the man resurrected from the grave still in that body that bore the scars. And then through John, we get to see the glorified Christ. We get to see him in heaven in his glorious form. And we get to see those glimpses of heaven, how he was worthy to fulfill God's plan, him and him alone. And then at the end of Revelation, we get that glimpse of heaven and of a time that awaits us when this life is over. And Jesus says that, I am coming. And he says not only that, but he says, I am coming quickly. See, there's an urgency in that last part. And John says, yes, Lord, come. John was ready. Are you ready? Are you ready for the time when Jesus will come back? Because if you don't believe anything I have said please believe what I have pointed to you in Scripture. Scripture says he's coming back. Scripture says he has been glorified and sitting at the right hand of God, worthy to complete God's eternal purpose. And in him, everything has been summed up. Everything exists in Christ. Our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And him who has fulfilled God's ultimate plan. Leave you with this. Again, John 20, verse 31. These things have been written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you may have life in his name. I hope this has given you an appreciation for the word of God. And how important it is to our faith to see how God has carried out his eternal purpose of saving man from his sins. And through John we get to see how that played out. And John says these things have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He believes, he believed one of the things that he saw, but he's saying that these things have been written so that you may believe. If you have not put on Christ, if you have not believed in his name, I would encourage you to do so, to become a part of the kingdom, a citizen of the kingdom. If as a child of God you have stumbled and you need the prayers of the congregation, you can let that be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.